Hello, everybody. I'm Father Peter Musset. And I am Scott Powell. You are listening to the Word on the Hill podcast with your friends, the Lanky Guys. Langsters. <laughs> Dude, I think Jesse Weiler wanted us to call ourselves the Langsters at one point. Oh. I'm, uncom- I'm uncomfortable with it. Yeah, that's... I can really uh, understand why. Hey, do you have any shout outs? <laughs> I want to give a shout out to the Pope who's in town as of today. No, well, yesterday. Dude, yesterday. I Wait, heard, when, did we, when, when did he get into town? I don't know. I heard it's he, Wednesday right now, everybody. Oh, okay. So I think he came last night. I think that the Pope listens to the, um, the podcast. If any one of the Popes in human history might, it would be this one. Dude, don't you think? I think so too. And I don't think he does, but. I wanted to give a shout to Bob Baselli, a shout out. Bob Baselli. I know. He had a birthday. Oh. And uh, he got one of my Camino maps. Oh. Yep. Those are awesome maps, by the way. Thank you, via peregrini.com. Well, well, we, sh- we should give a shout out to uh, to Matt and Lisa Pierce, who are actually doing the Camino right now. I believe I believe they're on the Camino as we speak. Lisa is. Matt is oh, leaving just, is on just Lisa? Sunday. I have to get Matt's map to him. I think, Matt's I, map? I, think I still need to make it. Sorry, Matt. That's all right. <laughs> but yeah, this on Thursday. Then you know that I'm still working for you. That's true. That's true. I'm your Huckleberry. You sure are, man. Dude, well, I I have to say that um, uh, I recently have been enjoying um, using this voice. Hello. I'm your internet connection. What is happening? I'm very slow. Father Peter had lots of problems with the internet this morning. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to do any networking, but it's a lot like plumbing. And like plumbing, at the end of it, you're just covered in nastiness. I've been part of a lot of networking events that were similar to that. (laughs) Oh, very, very. I'm just saying. Well, you guys, we are uh, heading into the uh, 25th 26th Ordinary of this time. 25th Sworn Day of Ordinary Term. (laughs) This is a 25th Sworn Day. Uh, It's the 26th Sunday in Ordinary Time, and um, we'd like to welcome you to the uh, podcast. We already did that. Okay, yeah. Um. Man, I'm excited the Pope's in town. I just want to say okay. the websites I have the Tiber and the Onion are really killing it this week <laughs> with their papal coverage. <laughs> <laughs> no, they both, they really are. <laughs> I, that's not satire. I mean, they really are killing it. Dude, that's... It's been hilarious. Did you see there was one? <laughs> Do you ever read the Eye of the Tiber? Uh, it's rarely. Like, it's the Catholic version of the Onion, and it kills me because this guy, whoever runs it, totally knows his stuff and so he can be really funny because he actually gets catholic politics but the headline last night was something like swiss guard swiss guards shoot pope francis with a tranquilizer gun as soon as they see him putting down his notes on the papal plane because <laughs> what's he gonna say oh uh, dude it uh, was a better headline than that yeah that I, what i reproduced well, anyway I uh and and hey I had a little nine news segment. You that's what I want. I knew there was something I've been dragging my feet because I knew there was something I wanted to say. Father Peter was on the news. He was on our local Denver station nine news, and it also got picked up by USA Today. Yeah, and and uh, I feel kind of cool. The you know? picture on the USA Today site, the screenshot. Did you see that? I did not look, look as ha- creepy as possible. I really look funky, dude. <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> it <laughs> rivals the National Catholic Register picture when we testified uh, before. Dude, I was mentioning to that when I, while I was being interviewed. <laughs> and all you have to do is Google Father Peter Muzzet, and the, the first image that pops up 
Oh. I look like a psycho. You really do. I mean, like, I have this hair and, and the, I look angry. The funny thing was that it was a favorable article toward us. I know. But it, the picture. The picture is just like one of those moments, man. Maybe I'll put it up on the Facebook. Page, <laughs> no, no. No. Well, I you mean, just told them to Google search it. I know. All right, all right. Back to business. It's the 26th Sunday. All right, 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 all right. 26th. Hey, yeah. Seriously. Oh, I... Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> the 26th Sunday of Ordinary Time. Our first reading is coming from the book of Num- Numbers. Numbers. I was uh, there. It took me a minute. I was reading it at a stoplight in my car this morning because we were supposed to podcast earlier. So yes. I was like, I got to hurry and study these. Um, so I thought it was Nehemiah at first, but it's Numbers. Yes. That, that was a stupid anecdote. Anyway, I didn't think it for that long. <laughs> <Dude>. Anyway, <laughs> biblical abbreviations are strange to me. Anyway, it's Numbers chapter 11, verse 25 through 29. What is the name? What is the Hebrew word for numbers? The Hebrew titles. Um, I don't know the Hebrew name for number. the Hebrew word for numbers. The Hebrew titles of all of the Pentateuch, the first five books, are not the names that show up in our Bibles. Oh. Our names are the Greek names. The Hebrew tradition is naming the book after the first, um, I, be- I believe it's the first noun in the sentence. Oh. So, uh, yeah. Cool. And then that gets us into the psalm, which um, is uh, Psalm 19, which is uh, we go from 8 to 10 to 12, and then we go all the way through 14. With the response coming from verse 9, A and B. Mm. Yes. The precepts of the Lord are right. Our second reading is from the book of James, chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And then our negative reading this week, but that's okay. It's a negative reading? It's a little bit of a downer. Oh, yeah, it is. A A lot of people being eaten by worms and such. No, that's the gospel. (laughs) But James isn't much better. Okay, anyway. (laughs) Dude, when you boil it down in such colorful language, it really doesn't fail to satisfy. It's Jesus' words, man. WWJD. Okay, so then then we have a strange kind of mix mix mash on the the mark. Which I did some research. It's only because the translation itself of the NAB and the way that the verses are sort of broken down because of the manuscript tradition... That's why the verses are kind of weird this week. Okay. Anyway. It's uh, Mark 9, 38 to 43, mm-hmm. to then 45, and then 47 to 48. Good. Good enough. Good. Close close enough for lanky guys. All right. Well, good night, everybody. Well, thank you for tuning in. You, you do no. that like every week. And do you know- I like, stole it from the Car Talk guys. Oh, really? Whenever they get like a hard question, they're like, good night, everybody. <laughs> they're like, good night. I love the Car Talk guys, man. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm always honored when people compare us to them. Because I get a kick out of them. Oh, dude, I like the car talk guys, and I like cars and talking. Yeah, you do. Dude, I like both those things, and laughing. So one of the things, this is a weird thing. This is an aside before we get going. Dude, I love Facebook for one thing alone. I was about to say something inappropriate. What? The fact that if somebody loses something, you can look them up on Facebook and send them a message. Did somebody lose something? Yeah, I found this journal. Oh. Yeah. And well, you have to know who it is and be friends with them. Well, no, you can just look them up and be like, hey, Carly, Carly, Carly Brown. It's also helpful when I forget students' names to look them up on oh. Facebook and yeah. find them. Oh, yeah, yeah, and get their faces because yeah. it's in a book. Or it's, yeah. <laughs> oh, I get it. I get it. <laughs> okay, so numbers. Numbers. Oh, uh, what? 
What what were you going to say? I was going to give an introduction to the book of numbers. Uh, let's do it. I was going to talk about numbers. <laughs> Same thing we do every week, Father Peter. <laughs> talk about the scriptures. <laughs> I, I th- for some reason, I, I thought you were going to give an explanation of cars. We haven't talked about that for like five minutes. <laughs> that was so long ago. All right. The book of numbers. Um, okay, here's the thing. I love the book of numbers, and it gets no credit because of the because of the Greek name numbers. Because the Greek the name that the Greek manuscripts gave it is just a boring sounding name. So you're thinking, oh, the book of numbers. It's just going to be names and numbers and genealogies. It's not. It has actually got tons of narrative. Some of the best stories from the the time just after the Exodus, as they're about to take the Promised Land, comes from the book of numbers. It's it's a fantastic book. And it's split between it, it. It's called the Book of Numbers because there's two censuses that are taken in the book. Oh, okay. That that sort of frame it in a certain sense, but but it's not the totality of the book. I mean, there's tons of narrative. It's more um, it's more narrative. It's more story than Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Wow. So it, it's a neat book, and and again, you guys know so many of the stories that actually come from this book. Yeah. But I just want to say a word about um, the nature of the book because the nature of the book and the way it's sort of laid out has something to say about our reading for this week. Okay. So there, there's, I think, there's, there's pro- I'm sure there's more, but I think there's two major ways you can read the book of Numbers. You can divide it up either geographically or, or morally. Oh. What do you mean by that, Scott? Scott, I mean, is there some sort of geography of morality that you're going to no, mention? No, no, no. Geography or, yeah, well, sort of. Actually, one of the things that I love about Tertullian is he associates the taking of the promised land with the seven deadly sins and the seven Canaanite nations. You would bring up Tertullian. <laughs> Dude, you know, okay, I just have to say, anytime you can be like, well, as Tertullian says. I, I mean, I, you, I you, saw you, the condescension in your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you bring up the geography of morality? That's the only thing that I have to say about geography you of morality. You said geography of morality. I said geography and morality. I know, but that's why I just combined it, and I am a, a more advanced thinker. Lay off, Padre. <laughs> All right, so three, three okay. ways of looking at this. Okay, so geography. Geographically, okay, the geographically and the morally matchup. So there's three major locations that the people of Israel are. So the book starts, the first 10 chapters of Numbers, they're at the foot of Mount Sinai. And actually, I think, and I may know this, for 56 chapters of the Bible, That's a the lot people of, of Israel are sitting at the foot of Mount Sinai. They're at Mount Sinai for a long time. So remember the story of the Exodus. They're released yeah. from slavery in Egypt, the 10 plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. They go out, they go out to Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, which is going to be renamed Sinai, where God appears to Moses. And they sit at Mount Sinai literally for 56 <laughs> chapters of the Bible. And they're I'm receiving. Still at Mount Sinai. And they weren't there for all that long. They were there for a relatively short period of time. Yeah. Um, that's not where they wander in the wilderness. So they're there, they're getting instruction by God. God is training them and trying to show them look, I want to make you into this new kind of a people. You're going to be my firstborn son. Right. I want you to be the light to the world. So I want to train you and, and tell you what I think you should be. So they're there, they're getting the instruction, and then about chapter, um, midway through chapter 10, actually chapter 10, verse 11, all the way through chapter 19 of Numbers, the primary place that they're going, even though they're journeying through the wilderness, is a place called Kadesh Barnea. And I, they, I haven't they, heard of that place before. Kadesh Barnea, it's not too far from Mount Sinai, it's 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 around the Sinai Peninsula. And it's a play. It's memorable, not because of its geography, really. It's memorable, though, because of all of the sin that happens there. Hmm. It's a very dark place. And you can kind of think of it this way. 
in the for the first 10 chapters they are facing mount sinai right okay so they're looking at god they're facing the place where god has appeared to them so and where he's communicating with moses and yep. and giving the law and inspiring his people and they're right on and they're they're following him this is after the golden calf incident so they've already committed their huge sin now they've kind of turned back toward god they're looking at him they're listening they're receiving instruction things are good and then geographically they you even see it where they're moving kadesh barnea is away from sinai so they start moving away from God geographically Mm -hmm. and as they do that you see they start to move away from him in their hearts and morally and things get real real ugly and then around which isn't there a TV series like what's happening with the Gadeshians (laughs) really (laughs) that was just terrible come on dude I like dude I (laughs) man yeah but in chapter 11, which we get into, it's sort of the, the climax of all of the sin and terribleness. Yeesh. We don't get into that in our reading. No. But our reading is symptomatic of it. That's why I wanted to point it out. Yeah, no, that's a really good context. Because if you read our reading within the context of knowing that this is a real bad time, you're like, oh, that makes a little more sense. Then around chapter, just to round it out, around chapter 22 or so to 36, there's a new direction. There's a new generation, the old generation that did the golden calf that turned their back and got all that stuff. They kind of die out and a new generation is risen up and they're facing God again. They look toward him. And it's, it's kind of during that time then they wander all around the wilderness for the 40 years as they're waiting for that generation to die off and a new generation is being raised up. And that sets you up. The book of Numbers ends and you're set up for them to go into the promised land now and, and receive the land that God wanted to give them. Got it. But, so it's, it's a little bit like the millennials now. <laughs> I don't, I don't the, get the joke. They're the new generation. They're just a new generation. I'm just, you know, uh, we talk about... I'm right on the d- line. D- I, I've, I've been told I'm in both camps i don't know if i'm generate generation x or millennial yeah i think dude, i think that i uh, well this is the problem is i'm like a gen xer because i gen-X. like i have a lot of gen x values you're way older than i am what like by a year dude two years two years <laughs> but <laughs> which like, means a lot when you're like in first grade it's a big deal <laughs> it is but then you and i have been spending so much time with millennials that they've 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 <laughs> can corrupted us yeah they have corrupted us Unbelievable. I know. My Gen X values have been compromised. No, you're still pretty firmly Gen X. <laughs> I just think that that sounds so funny to me. My Gen X values, values have been compromised. Yeah, that's like absurd. that's like, an absurdity. It really is. Like, but but so, yeah. It's, so he, so basically, so we're in the generation now in the context of numbers where we're not yet in a new generation that's going to actually go past, but we're at this boundary point. No, I think oh, we're, we're we're further ahead. We're further back than that. Okay, we're 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 in the heart of we're this the previous generation. Bad news. Yeah, exactly right. We're in the. I mean, you you can make an argument that the golden calf is really the heart of it, but they kind of turned back after that, and now they're just going to nosedive again, which is almost worse in a sense because you're like, well, they should have learned their lesson the first time. Right. So in the midst of that, our reading says this: the Lord came down from the in the cloud and spoke to Moses like he has been doing. Uh, taking some of the spirit that was on Moses, the Lord bestowed it on the 70 elders. So Moses was, was called to go out and choose 70 elders to help him lead the people of Israel because he needs all the help he can get, right? Right. So he chose these 70 elders, and as the spirit came to rest on them, they prophesied. And that, that I was reading a, a Bible commentary that said that probably means that they, um, what did it say? I thought it was hilarious. Probably means they gave ecstatic expression to the intense religious experience that they had. <laughs> so they were giving ecstatic expression. Hey, everybody! God appeared. 
If so, it's ecstatic <laughs> expression, does that mean that they were touching each other and shocking? Ah, <laughs> gotcha again. And they were rubbing their feet on the carpet. <laughs> but so, and that's, it's an important point we're making a joke about, but it's kind of an important point because we think of prophecy sometimes as telling the future. Which is not, that's not what we're saying here. When it says they prophesied, they're simply speaking about what God is doing. They're giving insight into the ways of God. So we have prophet, I think our popes have been prophets. I think we have lots of people who can, small p, prophesy in the sense that we get insight into what God is up to in the world. Yeah, That's I, what we're talking about. I always think about prophecy as somebody who sees clearly into the truth of the situation that is actually present. That's good. And the vision of God at the same time. It's like That's it's um, it's almost like it's like you know that moment when you're like listening in the spirit mm. and, so, and like there's movements and you see what's actually happening and you can speak to it and yeah. you can speak truth yeah. in That's the it. midst of things. That's it. That's what we're talking about. And God shows these 70 uh, elders to do that. So now, they're, they're sitting around, they're like, this is really bad. <laughs> right. This is, You're well, right, hey, Dad. I, I hope that they're speaking the truth. Yes. Because of what happens next. So then it says, now I, I get a kick out of this. Now two men, one named Eldad <laughs> and the other named Maydad, they were not in the gathering, but they were asleep in their tent. In the <laughs> Why weren't they there? They're just, they're behind, they were left behind in the camp. Dude, I... They know, too had been on the list. Isn't that the best? But they hadn't gone out. <laughs> Okay, where are Eldad and Maydad? Anyone, anyone what, know where they went? Well, RSVE it says it says that spirit res, uh, they were among those registered, <laughs> which is just as good as list. <laughs> I know they, they were on the sheet. They were on the sheet. They were like, who should we do? I mean, which means that Moses. I mean, Moses and Aaron. They were hanging out and they're like, dude, who, who, <laughs> you know, like. Like prophecy, like seeing truly into yeah. the moment. I mean, right. you're like, you're like, should we get El Dad and Me Dad? You're like, yeah, let's get those guys. Those well, are guys are, are great. Where are they? You know, I mean, that that's the question. Mm-hmm. I I I don't know. I mean, maybe they're doing something that they should be. Doing. I, I, maybe they overslept. I, who knows? <laughs> but they've been on the list, but they didn't go. Out. So yet the spirit came to rest on them also. So they prophesied in the camp, and then a young man came quickly to Moses and said, Hey, El Dad and Me Dad, they're prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, because he didn't have any parents, <laughs> son of Nun, who from his youth had been Moses' aide, said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. So here they are. They're prophesying in the camp. Dude, this sounds exactly like the chancery. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's saying something about parish in Boulder. Stop him. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a, that's a tongue-in-cheek joke. But like when you get into administration, you kind of want everything really ordered. And nice, and and like the fact that these two guys weren't at the meeting, but yet they're still doing what the meeting was about. I know that's perfect. The, the, it's like, it's like, dude, you did not come to the workshop. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> it. Oh, I love it. And then Moses, Moses has the insight. Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the people of the Lord were prophets, and would that the Lord would bestow His gifts on all of them? Yeah. Um. The. Uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself because this is so unbelievably parallel with the gospel. Rarely do we get a gospel reading that is so directly a parallel of the first reading, the Old Testament reading that right. we get. It's almost the exact same story, Yes, which we'll get to in a second. But the idea is, well, okay, let, let's pause on that because I think the, the hey, boo, boo. psalm actually, actually gives us one of the insights. And I've been thinking about that because the psalm didn't seem to add up to me. And then I read the whole psalm, and then I, I, I think there might be something going on here. Dude, I thought you were a little salty today. I don't get it. You engaged the salter. <laughs> ah, good one. All right, so we're in Psalm 19. 
which what we get, the response royal you'll all be saying at Mass is the precepts of the Lord give joy to the heart. Now, and the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Now, my first my first thought on reading this were, okay, the precepts of the Lord give joy to the heart. What are Maydad and, and Eldad doing? Is it Eldad? <laughs> I don't know, but they... <laughs> Maydad and Eldad, yeah. yeah, yeah. Maydad and Eldad. It's just, the, <laughs> let's just be honest, the fact that they their names rhyme... <laughs> and that they're like, and they're together. And they're together. It just makes me very happy. <laughs> El Dad and Me Dad. It's like El Dad and Me Dad. <laughs> El Dad and Me Dad. Come on. Come on. The precepts. Presumably, they're speaking of the precepts of the Lord, right? Right. Which what do they do? They give joy to the heart. What are they not? What are the precepts of the Lord not doing to the people who came to the workshop? <laughs> they're not giving them joy in their heart. Oh. It's creating an animosity. It's creating a jealousy. It's creating an anger. Ooh. So even in the psalm, you're saying, oh, something's not right because the precepts of the Lord, they should give your heart joy no matter what context they're in, no matter who is speaking them. Mm. Your reaction is the opposite. Right. That tells us that something's wrong. Right. right. So that was the first thing I saw. But then the other thought, so I was like, well, what psalm is this? So I went back and I read, this is the, the psalm, the heavens are telling the glory of God. And, and all creation is shouting for joy. <laughs> don't do it. But so this is the song. Don't do it. I'm not don't doing do it. it. I'm not going to do it. Um, I'm so not the song. Proclaim anything weird. Come dance. Some voice. people really hate that voice, by the way. If you hate yeah. that voice, you I do can a little bit. Comment about it on Facebook. I hate the voice. Click, click, click. <laughs> um, so this is a psalm that's all about how creation itself is speaking of God's glory, right? The, which the heavens, the I I love. Forest. I mean, my 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 favorite my favorite psalm is is Psalm nineteen because it, yes. because <laughs> because it gives you really this insight into the fact that um, the entire like like that God is sovereign and that we can actually come to know God in every concrete circumstance of every minute detail of all of the complications of everything in life. You nailed it though. That's the point. That's the relation to the first reading, I think. That's part because oh, what did yeah. you say? The Lord should oh, you said it so well. The Lord should be what evident in all parts of life, in all the things around us. We they should all sort of prophesy in a certain sense to us. Yes. These guys, Eldad and Medad, have tapped into that. They've tapped into the reality. It should be the most logical thing in the world that these two guys can see reality for what it is and be able to speak about what God is doing. What these other 70 elders are almost giving us the impression of is kind of this group of Gnostics who are like, well, we have all the secret information. We have the spiritual insights. You know, just you have to come to us. If you want to know God's ways, you got to come to me. You got to read our book. You know, you got to come to our workshop because that's how you'll know. And it's terrifying to them that other people who are not part of the inside group, the insiders, right? Those who are in the know, they can actually have spiritual insights as well. But Psalm 19 is trying to show us, look, because of the way God designed the world, all of creation speaks to his insights. All of creation should speak to what he is doing. And if we can tap into that, we can all be able to speak to that. That's how God designed the universe. Yes. But these guys want it to be just for them. They yes. want to circle the wagons. They want the influence. They want the status. They want the titles, right? Yes. That's what I'm seeing here. And Psalm 19 is saying, no, the way the world's supposed to work is what Moses said. Would that all the people of the Lord were prophets. And I wonder if 
what's embedded in Moses's words is the reality that, look, all the people of the Lord can be prophets in a certain sense, in the small p sense, right? Right. Because all of creation speaks to what is God, what God is doing. Yes. All you have to do to be a prophet is to see reality for what it is. Yes. And then be able to articulate that. Yes. That's what these guys are doing. And I think that's what the psalm speaks to in it. And then you add to the fact that, well, if you do that and you recognize that that should give joy to your heart. So the fact that these guys don't have joy in their heart. So does that make sense? That, yep. Those are my thoughts. I thought that was a neat connection, though, kind of. I like that connection a lot, what, actually. That's what's going on. Now, obviously, I mean, let's not make any mistake. God has given these guys a specific gift, right? Mm, yeah. and Which we, I don't want to discount what God has done. Well, and there's But some... he can do it wherever he wants to. That's the point. Right. And I'm always trying to understand the how a number is significant. So, we, you know what I mean? Like 70 is... That like uh, we, it's looking at the quality versus necessarily the quantity, yeah. and and I don't know what seventy is really doing, and that's one of those things to where like I can look at a base ten system and apply the covenantal life of, of uh you know to say that there's some somehow a fullness of covenantal expression in the midst of this, but uh but I don't really know. What's the mathematical derivative of seven? How do you get to seventy? Ten times seven. Ten times seven. Is that right? Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, well, yeah. think about that. Ten times seven. Seven, of course, is the number of the covenant, the number of it, swearing an oath, right? The, the completion totality. Yes. Ten, God has already shown in terms of his ten commandments, the ten plagues. It's how God wants to communicate to the world. Mm. So why 70? Because these are supposed to communicate not the totality, but they, they sort of represent. I think in a certain sense, oh, yeah. they're meant to represent the totality of God's people. It's not that they're better than everybody else, right. but they stand in the place of the all covenant of them, people. The, co- the, the completion of them, the totality of them, right? Yes. And to speak into the world, like the Ten Commandments, like the Ten Plagues, they're supposed oh. to convey. And convey that's what covenant. I'm saying. That's what I'm seeing about ooh. in 70. Ooh, yeah, that's rich. That's a thought. Just a thought. Just a, a thought. That's well. That thinking is quite good. <laughs> Which gets us into to James. What Jonathan or whatever his name is. You always think that the abbreviation is Jason. funny. Jason. That's it's right. It's not funny. It's not. It's getting less funny every week. <laughs> it's getting funny and less funny every week. That's why it's fun <laughs> to just beat that horse. Is it? It is. Uh, <laughs> I think our reader, our, our listeners, would take issue with that. <laughs> if if you're a reader of the Lanky Guys, <laughs> things I'm sorry. you have to let us know. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. Maybe somebody's tra- somebody's sitting in their basement, like scribing this out. Do you remember when you were little, pale. and your mom would be watching the Donahue show or the Oprah show, oh, and yeah. at the end of the show, there's always, if you would like a transcript, transcript. of this show, who wants a transcript of every word of the <laughs> Phil Donahue show? Did you ever wonder that? You know, you, like you could write in no. and you could get word for word. Everything. On a typewritten page, everything that Donnie Hughes said that day. Dude, I just you, remember that always stuck in my hand. Dude, if anybody has photo, just if you'd has like some a transcript of, those, of the Lanky Guys show, then twenty dollars to nine oh four Fourteenth Street. Dude, that would be the best. <laughs> it would be terrible. I wonder. How, I wonder how many pages of written word a Lanky Guys episode is. Oh, it scares me. <laughs> it scares all right, me. Too. Back to Jason. Come now, you rich, and weep over all your impending miseries. Your wealth is rotted away. Your clothes have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded. And it's a corrosion that will be a testimony against you. Oof. It will devour your flesh like a fire. What if your, your That was moth, a big jump, by the way. Your moth-rotted clothes are devouring you like a fire. That's a nightmare. <laughs> There's my moth-eaten t-shirt coming to eat me. In flames, <laughs> that's the worst. <laughs> well, well, it, this is the thing: is is in the in the uh, RSVE uh, RSV 
uh, CE, it says your gold and silver have rusted, mm. and the rust will be evidence against you, mm. and it will eat your flesh like fire, which which is... Um, oh, the gold and silver, not the t-shirts. Yeah, yeah. That makes more sense. Well, this is the thing, though, is that rust is actually just very slow fire. Oh, interesting. It's oxidization. By the way, Samuel loved the moment in your homily last Sunday when you talked about how a candle flame is just a very slow explosion. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, really? Really? <laughs> so anyway, Father Peter was talking about wonder. Um, okay, so let's think about this. Come now, you rich, you know, your stuff, your gold, your silver, the stuff that you've piled up. James is talking about the rich and how basically wealth and riches in and of themselves, if, if you're making those your gods, then you're, you're hosed. You're really up a creek. Right. How do you relate that to the first reading? Well, they're not necessarily these 70 elders. They're not necessarily acquiring all the gold and silver, but they are all about themselves, all about building up storehouses to themselves, to their name, to their status. Yes. Look at us. It's really the same concept. They're rich in... Or they're wanting to be, you know, kind of gathering up these riches in a different sense. But the the, the line that I thought was most powerful, listen to the next line. Now, I, I'm curious to see what your translation says. You have stored up treasure for the last days. What yes. does yours say? You have laid up treasure for the last days. So in the Greek, it actually says you have laid up treasure in the last days. Yeah, and yeah. I don't know why why gar is inserted there. Oh, for instead of en. Echastis. Yeah, it's en, not gar. So you've stored up treasure in the last days. What are the last days? The last days are the days of Christ, the days of Jesus. So I, the, the, the contemporary era we live in. Right. So one of the one of the, the themes, I'm finishing my dissertation. One of the themes I'm working on is this thing called inaugurated eschatology, which is this idea that once Jesus has come and taken on flesh and died on a cross and risen again, the quote-unquote end times, the eschaton, it's already started. It's been inaugurated. It's not complete yet, but we are in it. And so what this is saying is you've gathered up all these things in the eschaton, in the time of Jesus, in the age of Christ, in the new age that is to come that all of humanity has been waiting for, and you're worried about gathering up these other things? And I, I, the, the, I don't know, in my head, that, that nuance kind of changed the meaning. Yeah. You're not, it's not that they're gathering up for their future. It's that in this time that you're supposed to be in awe of what God is doing because his anointed one, he himself has taken on flesh and is among you and you're worried about your status or your riches or your clothing or all these other things. In the last days, you need to change your focus. This is what so many of Paul's letters are about. It's you need to change what you're focusing on because do you realize what we're living in? He says, behold, the wages you have held from the workers who harvested your fields. They're crying out loud. And the cries of the harvesters, they reach the ear of the, the Lord of, of hosts. There's, there's laws in Leviticus about giving just wages to those who are working. And you're holding back their money. Like, what's wrong with you? You're, you know, the thing in the Bible, the Bible speaks against the love of riches a lot. But if you read it carefully, it's always tied hand in hand with the love of the people around you. The love of your wealth is always intimately associated with the way that you care for people around you. Mm. So the love of these people's wealth in James is directly associated with their hoarding it and not giving a just wage for the wage to those who are working for them. Wow. It's always related to a social justice. Yes. Which is which is it's not just wealth in and of itself. And and what it's doing is showing it's kind of like what the Psalms spoke to the first reading. The fact that you're actually withholding wages to these workers is showing that all of your wealth has become its own God. 
it's really not wealth in and of itself. Right. It's not clothing. It's not riches. Those things are just neutral. But the fact that you're actually neglecting the poor and actually dis- mistreating them, being unjust, that speaks to the fact that your wealth has actually become your God. Yeah. Because look at the fruit it's bearing. Yeah. Uh, which is... Uh... In the ordination of a priest, the promises you take, it says, you shall look upon all greed or avarice as wor- and, and then dissolution or lust as worship of false gods. Ooh, my goodness. I know. It's like, wow. My Ooh, goodness. Wow. Well, and, and yeah, and in doing so, I mean, look at the way that James ends. In doing so, you have condemned, you have murdered the righteous one who offers you no resistance. You're doing this, I think in the mind of James, is contributing to the crucifixion of our Lord, who actually came in large part for the poor and the meek and the small. And you are withholding. In the last days, in the days that Jesus Christ has done that, you are abusing them. And I mean, I'm not trying to be, I'm not putting words in his mouth. He says, you have condemned. You have murdered the righteous one. Yeah. This is why fundamentally, the idea, any idea in, in history that the church is somehow anti-Semitic, you know, the Jews killed Jesus, is so theologically false because on every other page of the Bible, it says, no, it's us. We are the responsible party. Right. We and we alone. It is the hearts of God's faithful that are the ones that get corrupt. The job of the Christian is never say, oh, it's their fault. It's those guys out there. It's right. to look inside and be like, oh, man, we did this. Right. Shoot. We're the bad ones. We have to repent. We have to convert. Right. And that was the whole point of our readings last week, right? Yeah. The punchline of them was, no, it's actually you guys that are the, the ones turning Jesus over. You know, in, uh, in uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, when he talks about the seven deadly sins, you have greed, which is the inordinate desire for worldly goods. Mm. But then um, lust is actually the word luxuria, Uh-oh. which luxuria is any kind of living in any kind of excess. Interesting. Yeah. So, so, so lustfulness is actually an excess of something. Oh my! And Wait, who said that? Saint, Saint Thomas Aquinas. Yeah, yeah. With his seven deadly sins. So, luxuria is actually more of an accurate term. It's such a common theme among the saints. I just think of John, Saint John Chrysostom, who talks about you know that fa- that the 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 very disturbing line that you know that extra jacket in your closet it belongs to the poor guy on the street. Right. It's actually his. That extra shirt, that extra whatever, it actually belongs to the poor. You're yeah. like, but I bought it. It's mine. I bought it myself. You know, I use my own money from my lawn mowing business. You know, I mean, it just it it speaks. It's so counterintuitive, and it's so countercultural. Yes, I mean Saint John Chrysostom, which is one of the, he's one of the foundation saints of our whole faith. If most people read him, you'd be like, you communist. <laughs> you know, what do you who do you think you are? Oh well, yeah, he's he, like, no. He this he, is reality. In and it, the operative phrase from James in the last days. You need to change the way you look at everything because it's not normal life. It's not business as usual. Christ has actually changed the shape of the universe. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, for my platitudes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that, I mean, I look uh, at, at Pope Francis mm-hmm. and I think that in a very, very real way, his sense of universal destination of goods, which is a kind of a philosophical term that says that those things which you have lying in excess like are actually belong like if the 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 necessity uh, the the need of another is actually more funda- fundamental than your um than your sense of whether or not you own something or not right 
Right. And so the universal destination of goods, it's like it's like a Jean Valjean. We would talk mm. about Jean Valjean was trying to feed his family and uh, his sister's family, actually, and yeah. stole bread. But in fact, actually, it, he had a right to the bread because of the universal destination of goods. Right. And and but yet it corroded and 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 messed him up because what he thought he was doing and like how his conscience and so it was like this weird lack of formation. But then the bishop, like even in the sense of how like it, it just without even knowledge of that, just said, "I'm going to actually draw you back." Yes. And I think that that's where Pope Francis is like so profoundly good. Yes. It, because he gives us a courage that we can live those things again and find happiness. And I mean, frankly, in the age of social media, popularity. I yeah. Mean, like, 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 yeah. I, but of course, if you live for popularity, you're going to be sadly disappointed. But I, there's a, there's a, there's a fine line because he also knows like I have an opportunity to do something here. Right. There's a very fine line of, of doing it for yourself and also being, having the, um, oh, I don't know what the word is. What's the opposite of naivete? You know, having the having the sharpness to realize cunning. No, <laughs> anyway, but you know, I, I was thinking about actually Pope Francis. Somebody I, I gave a talk on on the natural world and the environment and stuff, and somebody asked me about you know, well, Pope Francis, you know, you know, what about all these people who say the church has all this money and all this riches and they should sell it? Isn't Pope Francis showing like he doesn't want the Vatican Palace? He doesn't want the big you know fancy Pope mobiles and isn't he showing us that? Like the church should get rid of all these riches and all this stuff, and I was like, no, no, no. And there's a very big difference. The the Pope is not selling off the Vatican art collection, because he realizes that that does not belong to him. Right. That belongs to the universal church. It is humanities, right. and the church's job is to be custodian of this. We can't sell off St. Peter's. It is this beautiful place for all of the faithful to come to. It's all of our home. It's right. you're in my home parish, right. St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. That's our home parish, even yes. though I'm registered here. <laughs> but you know what I mean? That, and that's something beautiful. Yes. But the Pope says, but look, I personally don't need to live in the Vatican Palace. I'm not going to sell it to the highest bidder, right. but I'm just going to show I don't need that space, so I'm going to move over here to this apartment. I'm not going to sell off all the Vatican's stuff. I'm not going to sell off the goods and the art and the beauty and the culture that belongs to everyone else, but I myself can do something more simple. More simple. I can live more simply. And you he know wants what I mean? To live There's a fine people. line. Like he also actually just wants to be exactly. with people. Like, all right, we're getting off on a tangent here. Well, we should we should bring it back. Well, we digress. I was just hoping to transition using uh, Pope Frankie to um, Franny Pants. Franny Pants. I'm sorry. In, don't call in, him that. If you, if you get to meet him, don't say. That. I have a feeling that you're not going to. Not after that. Of course, if he's listening to the podcast right now and he's in his, like in his Fiat driving around DC. Is he in a Fiat? He's in a Fiat. Isn't uh, that the best? He drives a Ford in in, in the Vatican. It's ironic, isn't it? Is it really? Is in, it? in in Italy, he drives a Ford, and in Washington, he drives a Fiat. <laughs> Take that. And and what and and all of us are driving the VW right now. Oh, oh. boy! <laughs> Look at VW. <laughs> Man, times are hard. Oh, das Auto. Das Auto. Oh, That's no. what I call Farvik Nugan. <laughs> okay, Mark chapter nine. Okay. Um, at that time. At that time. And again, I just can't stress enough. I mean, it's one of those striking. This is the exact parallel of the first reading. Well, Same thing. It's well, close. It's not yeah, exact. Yeah, no, no, it's not exact. Well, it's, of course, it's not exact. It's not the same thing. But but at, but at the same time, what we can see in the midst of this is are people who are given gifts by the Holy Spirit and acting upon them. Yes. Yeah. 
I mean, it's, to- no, real, totally. it's real simple. Like, Yeah, so it begins by saying at that time, John said to Jesus, Mark is always quick to call out John. John, John said to Jesus, teacher, we, you know, you know why though? <laughs> because I mean, what, what's Mark written from the perspective of Peter, it's Peter. And they were the one they're all, you, you can kind of pick up these subtle little things. Like John is always pointing out in his gospel. He's like, I was the one, John, the one who got to the tomb first, who ran much faster <laughs> than Peter. And Peter's and like, well, John said to Jesus, <laughs> we saw this. It's hilarious. I did, I did. <laughs> It's subtle. It's subtle. I didn't even. I've <laughs> I never picked up on I don't that. Know. Maybe it's not real. <laughs> but he's a teacher. We saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because because what? Here's this is key to everything. He is not following us. He does not follow us. Us. What should he have said? Because he does, They don't follow Jesus. Yeah, he doesn't say he's not a follower of Jesus. He says he's not a follower of us. And that's the first warning sign that, wait a second, something's not right here. Yes. They have made it. I mean, last couple of weeks has been kind of an accusation time against the apostles because <laughs> they're really blowing it. But this that's such a stark little I And mean, they're talking to Jesus. They're like, hey, they didn't come to our committee meeting. Like, they're not in our crew. They didn't come to the workshop. I, I just really like the workshop analogy. <laughs> but they don't follow us. Not they don't follow you. I, I don't know. It's so striking to me. I'd never yeah. seen that. I've read this a million times. I'd never seen that before until this morning. And so so already they're like, it's not about us. And Jesus said, don't prevent him. For there's no one who performs a mighty deed in my name who can at the same time speak ill of me, which is fascinating. For who uh, for whoever's not against us is for us. Um, two things. Number one, there's another scene in the, go- in, in the book of Acts. It's in... Uh, chapter 16, I want to say. Yeah, Acts 19. In, in Acts 19, remember, there's this scene where people are trying, a bunch of people are trying to cast out demons in Jesus' name, yep. and they all fail and they're humiliated. Oh. So that shows us, here's our first insight. This isn't a magic trick somebody's doing because people try to use Jesus' name to do stuff. It's not just about, okay, if I say the right formula, if I use Jesus' name, then I'll be able to do all these cool magic tricks. No, that's not what's going on because they can't do it. And there's even a time, remember after the, after the transfiguration, the apostles can't Couldn't drive out yeah, demons. And, he says, and Jesus is like, this one can only be cast out by prayer and fasting. So this isn't just like, okay, as long as I say this name, then this stuff will happen and everyone will like me. Exactly. What that speaks to is that whoever the, and we don't have any idea who these people are who are casting out demons in Jesus' name. We never hear their identities. But what it does tell us is that there's something utterly sincere about what they're doing. Right. Because even the apostles who are part of the us can't do it at one point. And people who are trying to do it in vain, they can't do it. The fact that it works speaks to the deep, um, the, the profound faith that they actually have in what they're doing. And this is where Jesus can like, if they're not against us, they're for us. He, they're actually, this is, this is part of the, They're part of the team. Why? Because like the psalmist said, there's something built into the very fabric of the universe, which we have the ability to tap into. God's grace is there. Yes. We can have it. The people around you, the people in the car next to you who just cut you off, who you want to flip off, they have accessibility to God's grace. Right. All of us, the smelly coworker in the in the cubicle next to you, they all have the be able to they can all tap into this, even if they might not go to your parish, even if they're not Catholic. And this is what Pope Francis gets, I think, is he realizes, look, if they're not against us, so we have a culture, we have a world. There's a lot of people who hate the church. That's that's a reality. There's a lot yeah, of people yeah. who hate who we are, what we do. But 
they're far, far fewer in number than I think sometimes we think that they are. Yes. What we have, and especially in this country, is a ton of people who just don't have a clue. And really couldn't necessarily care less. It's just like, whatever, what are you guys doing? You got some weird guy in a white dress show. That's cool. He's talking about the poor. I kind of like that. Yep. And Pope Francis realized, look, they're not against us. There's a bunch of people, especially in our culture, in our country, in our town, for Pete's sake, who don't have any feelings one way or the other about the church, who don't have any feelings one way or the other about Christ or about Christianity. Right. The Pope is like, those are the ones we got to get because they're not against us yet. <laughs> and maybe someday they will be. Yes. Maybe their parents are. Who knows? But they're not against us. They're a blank slate. And if we can move in there and tap into the grace that is already surrounding them, yeah. then we can change everything. So we have to tap in. And Christ is like, look, if people are tapping in, if they're realizing, look, there is a grace in the world that I can tap into through Jesus Christ, praise be to God. Yeah. And let's, let's empower those folks. But then you get the flip side. But he says, whoever causes one of these little ones who do believe in me to sin, it'd be better if a great millstone were put around his neck and he was thrown into the sea. Which if you're taking the work of evangelization, the people who might follow me, who might not know any other way, who have the open door, the opportunity to know life to the full, and you're slamming the door in their face because they're not part of the team, in your view? Yep. And woe to you. That's real bad news. Dude, which and is... I know a lot of Catholics, quite frankly, I mean, I hate to say this, but I know a lot of Catholics who I considered good Catholics who sound like they're doing that, who get really mad that Pope Francis wants to reach out to the unchurched, to those who need mercy, to those who are in sin and bring them back into the light of mercy, back into reconciliation, because we want to circle the wagons and they're not part of the team and they don't go to the Latin Mass and they're not going to Mass with us every Sunday. So who do they think they are? Right. To be welcomed into this congregation. Yep. It's a very dangerous thing. It's super, super duper dangerous. <laughs> super duper dangerous. Well, I think that there's no uh, mistake that we have a millstone, too. Because mm. the millstone is actually the thing that allows the daily bread to be provided. Oh. So give us this day our daily that. bread. It's actually, it's like, it's it's saying like the, the you know, like mm. you're not feeding. Wow. And and so your 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 work has become stale, and your tools will go with you and be a be a curse against you. Wow, I don't want that. No, me neither. Especially since my my tools are sometimes they're they're kind of cool, but <laughs> but sometimes they whirl at high speeds, and they might become corrupted and come and eat you with fire. I know that's a if horrible they, dream. God, I know. So, Thanks. y'all, th- this is the thing is. It's very, very important that our vision of the people around us is pure, mm. because if if what all we see is the sin of another, mm. if all we uh, we reap is is actually judgment, then judgment is all we get back. No, Where whereas whereas if you flip it around, because because that's what's happened in the first reading, they mm. make judgments about whether a dad and me dad should be doing this thing. I'll tell you though, those who who have have been given a gift of the uh, of of pouring forth some part of the glory of God, yes, like which is all of us. We have been granted that gift as a, as humanity, yes, and and people who are courageous enough to see that pouring out from anyone they meet yes. in their humanity in every in, in any part that they can see and who are looking for that are going to be gifted with prophesying, like yes. what you're saying. You get to see the real and to proclaim it. Like yep. that, that is, that's the authentic, the, I, if you ask me, that is the authentic voice of a critic. Yes. A critic, oftentimes what we think of is, is, oh, I'm going to tell you how bad this thing is. Yeah. 
And, and yeah. you know, oh man, that guy's very critical. Yeah. No, I think critique is actually the one who is looking for the true glory of God and how right. being is being revealed in the people, in the things, in God right. that stands before us. And then if you do that, then everything that you have, every tool that is at your disposal is going to be uh, attempting to do that. That's why I think that it says, okay, your foot, okay, it's another it's another thing. Yeah. Like the reality is, is that if you're just walking around critical looking for negative things, you're going to find critical negative things and yes. you're going to prevent people from climbing the mountain of God. Yeah, it, you, it's, it's like the book of, uh, of numbers. They're not going to be facing the work. They're going to actually have gone away and they're going to actually um, have to deepen their their exile and their face is going to be turned to other weird things. Whereas, and and then your eye, like what, what are you looking at? I mean, are you just yes. looking around versus saying like, no, I'm going to make a decision to try to find what's good. I'm going to, I'm going to treat this grand Easter egg hunt as looking for the glory of God. That's why the heavens are proclaiming the glory of God. And that's why, that's why we, 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 um, we linger. And that's why we don't even like, you can turn your eye and you can just say, how does this satisfy me? Like, you know, like how is this money? I'm going to serve mammon just -hmm. because I'm going to be turned in on myself. And it's like, that's the end of the universe, man. Versus, versus going, no, I'm like, man, I got something. I'm going to go for it because that is the gift the the abundant and promiscuous gift of the Lord's grace. Yes. It is everywhere. It's like he is not the picky about sending graces into the world. Yeah, absolutely. He's a crazy abundant. He's crazy about it. <laughs> abundant. Well, you guys, that is all we have time for today. What are you saying? I'm talking too long? No, I just said that's all we have time for. <laughs> I know, I'm just oh kidding. Oh my gosh. I <laughs> can't say anything. <laughs> I know. That was a millstone being tied around my neck. I know. I was I was actually just I was I was showing the contrast of what I was talking about. Yes, I know. Dude, you said a lot of really good things today, by the way. You said a lot of really good things today, by the way. Hey, You're a good you. man. You're a really great man. You guys are great too. So we will see you next week. And um, keep it real. And if your name is A Dad or Me Dad, we L Dad. L Dad. Dude, L Dad. I, I think that that's like very, that'd be a good coffee cup. Okay. I thought you were going somewhere else. All right, you guys, we'll be back next week. <laughs> See you later. Bye.